Well, this morning we're, we're starting a brand new series for the season of Lent, and it's called Be Still My Soul. It's going to take us from now all the way up to uh, the time of Easter. And uh, what we're going to be doing is looking at the Upper Room Discourse. And this is a series of talks that Jesus gave his disciples just hours before he was crucified. And he's sort of preparing his disciples to go out into the world, uh, to face the world without him. And there's two themes that, that run through this, this talk. Uh, the first theme is suffering. <laughs> so he tells them, uh, in this world without me, you will face tribulation. Uh, I'm going to go away, and it's going to get bad. It's going to be hard. Uh, you're going to face some trouble. But another theme that runs through the passage is the theme of comfort. And so uh, three words that go all the way through this discourse are the words uh, comfort, peace, and joy. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, I know it's scary, and I, I know you're anxious. This world is a difficult place. But I want you to be the sort of people that in the middle of all this, in the midst of the chaos, you experience an inner calm. You experience joy. You experience peace uh, right there in the middle of it. And I was reading a book by Edwin Friedman, and, and it's a book called A Failure of Nerve. He's sort of a leadership guru. And uh, one of the things he says is he says, you know, we live in a world of anxiety. He said everybody in our culture, everybody in our world is just anxious about everything, anxious about the future, anxious about money, anxious about your kids, anxious about everything. And he says that a leader is somebody who, who demonstrates, and while everybody else is freaking out, they demonstrate a non-anxious presence. So he says, it's like when you're in a building, you know, the, the building is burning down and, and everybody's freaking out. And who do you look to in a moment like that? You look to the person who's calm. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, disciples, it's going to get bad and it's going to be, there's, everybody's going to be anxious, but I want you to be the sort of people that demonstrate a non-anxious presence in the world. I want you to be calm. I want you to have peace. I want you to live in this chaos with joy. And so uh, in these series of talks, Jesus tells his disciples and us exactly how to do that. I'm so excited to get into it. This is some of my favorite uh, words in all the Bible. They're, I think they're just so beautiful, so I'm super excited. Uh, but, 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 but today we're going to look at John chapter 13. And John chapter 13 is that famous passage uh, where it's right at the beginning when they just get into the upper room where uh, Jesus gives this object lesson about washing feet and it's all about uh, servanthood and sacrifice and just giving yourself for other people. And, uh, you know, there's a story of, of a woman and uh, th this woman, uh, her husband had all, was demonstrating all these symptoms of illness and so she takes him to the doctor and the, the doctor, you know, examines the man, and he, he looks him over, and then he, and then he says, uh, he dismisses him. He says, you know, put on your clothes, go out of the room. And then he turns to the man's wife, and he says, your husband is really sick. And he said, and, and, he's, and he's probably going to die unless we take some desperate measures. And so here's what you need to do. He says, he needs to remain calm all the time. So you need to serve him, uh, you know, every single day, all the time. You have to cook every meal for him. You have to clean up after him. You have to serve him and take care of him all the time, 24-7. And it's going to be difficult. You're gonna, it's going to be a very selfless endeavor. But if you do this, your husband's going to live. And so she takes the news in, and she, and she walks out of the, the doctor's office, and the husband says, well, what did he say? And she says, I'm sorry, it's terminal. It is very, very difficult for us to serve people the way Jesus served his disciples here. Selfishness is just something that runs really, really deep. 
And so I was just kind of reflecting on my own life this week and, and just thinking all the different ways that I'm selfish. And so uh, yeah, at work, I, my selfishness uh, shows up. And so the other uh, day, last week, I was down in the, in the office bathroom and I looked over and, and there the trash can was overflowing. And I thought to myself, somebody should, should empty that. I think Sam should do that. And so I, I went back up and I thought about it. I thought maybe he'll go down and do it pretty soon. Surely he's probably, you know, has used the bathroom at some point. I went back down at lunch and it's still overflowing. And I thought again, somebody needs to empty that. Hopefully Sam will do it. Well, I went home that day and the, the trash can was still empty. And it wasn't about the emptying the trash that made that so difficult for me. It was about my happiness. I thought to myself, I would be happier if I didn't have to empty the garbage. In fact, I think I'd be much happier up in my office with my books. Yes, I think I'd be very comfortable there. I've, I saw it show up in my marriage, and so uh, before Anita and I got married, we had our first major fight in Crate and Barrel. And uh, we were registering for the wedding, and we were going around, you know, they give you those little guns, and you can zap the little barcodes on all the products. So we're going around Crate and Barrel, and we're zapping everything. It was a very happy affair, until we got to the uh, kitchenware. And in the kitchenware, I was on one aisle, and I, and I zapped the ceramic plates. Anita was on the other side of the aisle, and she zapped the porcelain plates. And so, uh, that's weird, it came right off. And so I zapped the, the ceramic plates again, and sure enough, it went off, she zapped the porcelain, porcelain plates. And so there we are, locked in this argument, right in the middle of Crate and Barrel. And it, it was ugly, it was really, really bad. But the, the thing was, it wasn't about the plates. It was about my happiness. I thought, you know, porcelain plates, they're pretentious. I don't want to be that sort of person. Our marriage would be way happier if I got my way here. We ended up getting porcelain plates, by the way. <laughs> I saw it show up in my parenting. So uh, the, one of the, we're in the stage of parenting now where all of our kids are sleeping pretty well, except for the youngest one, Micah. And Micah, you know, he still gets up at night, and, and he'll go into our room on occasion and... Uh, the other night, he was, he was in there, and I, he, his little voice, we hear him wake up, his little voice says, I'm thirsty, water, you know, poor pathetic little voice. And so what did I do in that moment, you know, this godly pastor that I am? I pretended like I was asleep. <laughs> I know you've done that too, guys. I know you've done that too. But I don't feel that bad because I think Anita did the same thing. And I even, like, a, you know, a little snore, you know, a little pretending like I was really, you know, under. But what, it wasn't about, you know, needing to get up to get my, my son uh, a glass of water. It was about my happiness. I thought I would be a lot happier. I'd be a lot more comfortable. I'd have a lot more joy if I was able to stay in my bed and stay asleep. So these are my struggles, and I wonder if you struggle at all with this. So here's what the scripture says. The scripture says that, that this is one of the main problems of the whole human race. That, that one of our deepest problems, the Bible says, is something called sin. And the way the Bible de uh, defines sin is the, the heart curved in on itself. Uh, in fact, uh, an ancient church father, Augustine, and later on Martin Luther said that, that uh, the, the, the heart is incurvitus in se, that's a Latin phrase, and it means that all of, the, all of us humans, our hearts are curved in on themselves. That is, uh, what sin does is it doesn't just separate us from God, it separates us into our own self-centered little worlds. 
And sin whispers in our ears. It whispers in our ears. You will you know, spend all of your time, all of your resources, all of your money, all of your energy on yourself instead of others. It's going to make you happy. This is what you really want. But here's the irony in all this, is, is that when we spend ourselves on ourselves, when we become curved in on ourselves, we are not happier at all. In fact, the more you spend your time and your energy and your resources on you, the more you put yourself first, the more miserable you are. When you, when you spend all of your time and energy and resources on you, you actually shrink as a human being. And the, the research plays this out. And so there's a, there's a scholar um, named John Capio at the U of Chicago, and he did this study. He did a, 10 years of research. He uh, analyzed uh, people that were self-centered, and he developed what he called the chronic self-focus chart. And he charted people uh, according to their level of self-focus. You don't want to be on this chart. And so what he found was that when you focus on yourself, this is scientific research, he said, when you focus on yourself, you become more lonely, more isolated, and more depressed. Another scholar named uh, Adam Columpsey at Columbia University, uh, he, he did a study where he analyzed the uh, relationship between selfishness and insecurity. And he found this, that the more self-focused you are, the more insecure you will be the more anxious you will be. So the more your heart curves in on itself, he says you're going to be more anxious, you're going to be more insecure, you, act, you think it's going to make you happy, but he says you actually lose joy, you lose comfort, you lose peace. So Jesus comes into all this, and Jesus is, is uh, I mean, years earlier, you know, before all the research is done, uh, Jesus is going to show us a better way. He's going to show us that, you know, the, the more you give your, yourself away, the more you pour yourself out, the happier you're going to be. He's, he's going to show us an upside-down way of living that is so countercultural, and yet it's, going, it's, it's the pathway of joy. It's the pathway of peace in this chaotic world. And so uh, we're going to look at, at this, uh, this little teaching that he gives, and it's really not a teaching at all. This is kind of an object lesson is what it is. It's a, he's burning this. He's going to do something that burns this on his disciples' eyeballs. It's a, it's a, it's a living parable. It's, a, it's an object lesson that teaches us this principle of pouring ourselves out for others. So let's begin John 13. We'll get the context here. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to, to go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. <clears throat> During supper, when the devil had already put it into his, the heart of Jesus, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he had come from God and was going back to God. So he knew this, and uh, let's just stop here. Uh, before we move on, we'll get the context. And so uh, here, uh, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. And when you picture the scene here, don't picture uh, Leonardo da Vinci's uh, old painting, you know, where they're all on this tall, rectangular wooden table, and they're all on these upholstered old English chairs. Uh, you know, picture the disciples uh, sitting on the ground, reclining on the ground on pillows with their, with their legs behind them, and they're sitting at a small table called a triclinium, and this is a, a U-shaped table that was low to the ground, 
And so they're sitting there, and they're sitting around this table. They're, they're uh, laying, re- reclining on pillows. And in the ancient world, if you were invited to, uh, to be a guest for dinner, it was customary to wash all your guests' feet. So this was common courtesy. Uh, when you would come into somebody's house, uh, you know, you would just wash their feet. And, and so in, the, in, in that day and age, uh, the main mode of transportation was walking. And so uh, back then, they didn't have Reeboks or Vans. You, would, you wore sandals. And so when you're walking around these streets, your feet would get really, really dirty. And so when you came over to your uh, host's home, you would walk in the door. There was always a servant there with a basin and a towel uh, ready to wash the, the feet of the guests. And typically, the one who had to wash the feet was not just a servant, but the, the lowest of the low servant. And so uh, there was actually a, a little line in the Torah that said that uh, the person who washes the feet, it, 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 it cannot be a Jew. So no Jewish servant could ever wash the feet of a, of a guest. It was too low of a, of a service to perform for a Jewish person. So only the Gentile servants were allowed to wash the, the feet of the, of, the, of the guest. And it's because, you know, it's, it's a dirty job, isn't it? Feet are gross, Right? <laughs> Uh, they're disgusting. You can imagine the, the dirt that's on somebody's feet, you know, when they're walking around uh, town. And uh, it's, it's a dirty job, and so it's reserved for the lowest of the low. The lowest of the low. Now, back to the story. So remember, here are the disciples. They're in the upper room. And, and what do we know about the room? It's rented. So it's, it, nobody owns this place. And so what that means is there is no hired servants there to wash the feet of the guests. And from another uh, gospel, we learned that, that, that at this moment, the disciples were locked in an argument. Luke tells us that they were arguing about, anybody remember what they were arguing about? Who is the greatest? Uh, and, and I think maybe that argument was sparked by, uh, they were probably wondering, who's going to have to be the one to wash the feet here? And I kind of imagine it going like this, you know, Peter says, listen, I walked on water. There's no way I'm going to wash feet. And the other disciples are like, yeah, but you sank. <laughs> and then John says, well, I'm the, I'm the disciple who Jesus loves. He says that all the time. I'm his favorite, so of course I'm not going to wash the feet. And then maybe they look at Bartholomew and say, nobody's even going to remember that you were even a disciple. <laughs> you need to wash these feet. And so they're locked in this argument, and they're wondering who's going to be the one to have to do this dirty, lowly, humiliating job. But listen, it wasn't about the feet. It was about their happiness. They were thinking, you know what? You know, we think that we would be happy, happier if we didn't have to wash the feet. We think that we'd be a little bit more comfortable. We think that we would have more joy if we didn't have to do that. So somebody else do it. Somebody else take that role. We're not going to do that. There's no way we're going to do that. This is what servants do. This is what Gentiles do. And we want to be happy. And this is the upper room. And there is no way that we're going to stoop so low to do something like that. And then Jesus, in verse 4, stands up. He rose from supper, it says, and he laid aside his outer garments. Taking the towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin, the job of a servant. And he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And so into this bickering, Jesus quietly stands up. He takes aside his, his outer garments and he girds himself with a towel of a servant, of a slave. And he quiet, quietly kneels down and one by one, he washes the dirty feet of the disciples. 
And they were amazed by this. And so he goes around the room, and it says that when he came to Simon Peter, it says that Simon said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you, you don't understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And then Peter said, you will never, ever, ever wash my feet. And so here's what we need to know. This was, this was a, a radical reversal of roles. And here are the disciples, this would have been astonishing. This would have left them speechless. No, this is our Lord. This is our master. This is our rabbi. This is the one that we spent three years learning from and following. He's the greatest. He's like no other man that we've ever met. And Peter says, no, there is no way. This is way beneath you, Lord. You should never be doing this. Not you. But, you know, if they were amazed, we should be even more astounded by this because we know more than they did. What do we know about Jesus? Well, we know that Jesus Christ was the creator of the world. Jesus Christ was the Alpha and the Omega. John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. We know that Jesus Christ was God in human flesh, the creator of the world. It's impossible to to describe what kind of uh, depth Jesus stoops from here, and I was thinking about it. You know, would it be like the Queen of England coming over to your house and washing your toilet? No, it's even, it's even more astounding than that. This is the creator of the world at the feet of his disciples washing their dirty feet like a slave. Skip Ryan put it this way. He said, at the very moment that Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he's holding together the molecules of the water in the basin. I mean, this is astounding. This is an incredible lowering, a lowering that we've never seen before in the history of the world. What else do we know? We also know that these disciples did not deserve it. They didn't deserve it at all. In a few hours, uh, one of these disciples would betray Jesus, one of them would deny Jesus, and all of them with their washed feet would walk away from him. As he looks at the disciples, he sees proud hearts and dirty feet. So they don't deserve this at all, not at all. But here Jesus is pouring himself out like a slave for them. We also know that Jesus is about to experience suffering that that no human being has ever suffered the likes of before. This is the darkest moment of Jesus' life. A few hours he would hang on a cross. And I don't know about you, but when you're in the darkest moment of your life, you don't feel like serving anybody, do you? You feel like staying in bed. And you'd almost forgive anybody when in the darkest moment of their life for just, you know, looking at those disciples and saying, what's wrong with you people? Serve me. You, you, you should come and bow down to me. Stop bickering. You could, anybody could forgive Jesus for losing it here. But he, he has the wherewithal. And he has the peace and he has the joy to calmly kneel down at his darkest hour and to wash the feet of his disciples. And so this is incredible. Here is the God of the universe washing the feet of his disciples. And and this is, I mean, like I said before, this is a parable. Uh, This is what Jesus Christ does in the incarnation. And so in Philippians 2, uh, Paul the Apostle remembers this scene. He recalls this scene, and he uses it to describe what Jesus is doing in the incarnation. 
So uh, Paul at one point says in Philippians 2, let each of you uh, uh, not, not only look out for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What's Paul saying? He's saying that this foot washing is a picture of what Jesus does in the incarnation. Although he was God, although he was the greatest being who ever lived, he stooped low and he became a human being. He humbled himself and became flesh and blood. And not only that, he lowered himself to this death on a cross, the most humiliating death in Rome at that time. It was a humiliating death reserved for servants and slaves. But in that cross, Jesus was washing our feet. Now Jesus does this, this humble thing, not, not in spite of his deity. You know, some people think, you know, you, know, you know, if anybody can be prideful, it's God. You know, God, if anybody in the universe could be a prideful being, it should be God. He has all glory. But, but here's the thing, that at his core, God is humble, at his core, God is a servant because in this passage, Jesus is not masking God but revealing God. He's saying, this is what God is like. It's me. This is your God. This is the Christian God. He is not high and mighty, aloof and proud. At his heart, the Christian God is a lowly servant. Now, if you're considering the claims of Christianity, isn't this compelling? If you're considering the existence of God and, and whether God is real, isn't this a beautiful picture of God? That God is someone who washes feet. Oh, it's so beautiful. The Christian God is a God who stoops low and kneels before his, his unworthy disciples and performs the job of a slave. I had a professor in college who used to say, you know, people say that Jesus is God, and that's right, because he is. But what people don't often realize is that God is Jesus. That Jesus is the man that God became when God became a man. This humble, lowly, foot-washing person was deity. This is your God. And so Jesus washes their feet. And then in verse 12 it says, when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments, and he resumed his place, and he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? And then he said, you call me teacher and Lord, for so you're right, because I am. And then if, if I, your, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And then he says in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now I want to stop there because the word blessed there means joyful. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this is not only what God is like, and this is not only the way of, of my discipleship, this is not only how you follow me. If you want to be my disciples, this is the pathway to your greatest joy. Do you want to know joy in life? Pick up the basin and the towel. 
Joy is all about servanthood. And those people that find joy in this world are the people who know how to give their time and their energy and their resources away. Here's the logic. The logic goes like this. God at his core is a servant. It is God's greatest joy to serve humanity. This is what brings him life. This is what really gets God going is to serve people. And get this, you are made in the image of God. You were meant to reflect God. And you know what that means? It means that just as God finds his greatest joy in service, you find your greatest joy as a human being when you serve others. You are living into the imago Dei, the image of God in you. You are being who God created you to be. When you serve, you reflect God. And that's, therefore, when you serve, you find your greatest joy. It's like a little, uh, in my office, I was thinking about this this past week. In my office uh, a couple years ago, I had a little mini garden. And it was this little, it was actually a plant is what it was. A little plant, I guess, is what it was in my office. And, uh, <laughs> and I, didn't, I didn't water it. I'm not used to having plants, and so I just thought, I don't know, maybe once a month is good. I didn't, didn't water the plant, and so uh, the, the plant began to wilt. It almost died, but I finally got my head straight, and I watered the plant, and it came alive. And service is like water to the plant. When you serve, you come alive. And when the heart curves in on itself, in curvatus, in say, when you start stuffing the self with the self, you get bored, as Walker Percy said. When you start living for you and doing things for you and thinking about you and focusing on you, you shrink as a human being because you were made in the image of God. You were not meant to live like that. You were meant to live like God. And what does God do? Well, God does what Jesus does. He washes people's feet. And you come alive. You find energy and, and, and joy when you pour, ironically, when you pour yourself out for other people. When I first became a Christian, uh, there was a, I, I remember learning this. It was a very valuable lesson. I remember learning this, and I remember loving church and loving youth group, uh, and really, I loved the Bible studies and the teachings, and I would go and learn, but there was one uh, um, summer where the youth pastor said, hey, I want, Brent, I want you to sign up for this short-term mission trip, and I was like, oh, great. Where is it? In Mexico? And I was like, oh, Mexico, that'd be a lot of fun. And so I signed up for the trip, trip and I paid the money to go. And, and I remember it was on this weekend where um, the waves were incredible. I was a surfer growing up. And so I was giving my weekend to go to this mission trip instead of surfing. And uh, what made it even worse is it was in Mexico, right? And so all, the, all this bus all the way down to Mexico, we drove along the coast. And so I'm watching these perfect waves all the way down all the way down to Mexico, and we got to a certain point, and I remember the bus turned inland to where the, the uh, little uh, orphanage was. And I remember looking out the back window of the bus, just watching the waves. There they go. I thought, this is going to be miserable. But I've got next weekend. I just won't do this again. And so we went on this trip, and this, it wasn't one of, you know, some of these short-term missions trips are like vacations, and this wasn't one of those. They had us do really real work, and so uh, we cleaned out the septic hole. It wasn't even a tank, it was a hole. And so just imagine a shovel 
just cleaning that stuff out. And they had us painting, uh, you know, the, the barn. They had us out working in the field. It was hot and it was sweaty. And I remember uh, going home that weekend strangely joyful. I, had, I felt more life than when I was driving down because I was made in the image of God. I was made to reflect God, and, and, and I came alive when I gave myself out in service for somebody else. So here's Jesus' first lesson. He's saying, listen, he's saying, I, I'm telling you, I, I want you to live the way of joy and peace and comfort in this world. This is a dark, anxious place. Everybody here is, is freaked out, and the building's on fire. And they're looking for people that are calm, that have joy. And here's my first lesson, that joy is found. You come alive. Even in the darkest of circumstances, even when you don't feel like it, when you take that step and you, you give yourself out for somebody else. Now notice Jesus says here, he says, you know these things, but he says it's in, in verse uh, 17, it's not enough to know them. The happiness comes when you do them. Not when you hear the sermon and go, yeah, I should probably do that. It's when you actually take that step and you do it. Joy is found in the doing. So I want to just give you a few little ideas of maybe ways that you could begin to do this sort of thing in your life this week. Here's one thing you can do. You, you can begin by giving honor to somebody else. Begin just by giving honor to somebody else. The, the, Paul at one point says, outdo one another in giving honor to one another. In another place, he says, prefer one another. This means put somebody else above yourself. Put somebody else on the pedestal. Put somebody else's needs above your own. One of the ways you can do this is by listening to somebody. You know, in our world, uh, the people with power talk, and the people with no power listen. But what if you went home to your spouse and you were attentive and you said, it's not about me, it's not about me right now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna slow down and I'm gonna listen to you. And I'm gonna listen to you like you're the most important person in the world. Because I'm gonna give you honor and this is the way of Jesus and in fact, this is the way to my deepest joy. So I'm gonna listen. And so you could do this by giving honor to somebody, putting somebody else above above you and, and serving them in this capacity, maybe by listening to them. You could also uh, do this by doing something that is beneath you. Taking out the garbage. You know, we live in a, we live in a culture that is so concerned about status and, and our own importance and being the one who calls the shots and, and the one that everybody uh, gives honor to, but, but what if you just said, you know, I'm gonna do something beneath me for somebody else. And maybe it's not washing feet, we don't really do that stuff anymore, but maybe you could clean the toilet <laughs> for, your, for your wife. Maybe at work you can do that thing that, that nobody else wants to do because this is the way of Jesus. And what would it be like if people saw Christians doing this sort of thing? Things that, that only servants do, that the people beneath you do. And you say, you know, I'm going to do it because Jesus did that. And he set the example and he showed me the way. You could do this by serving. You could do this by pouring out your time, your energy, your money, and your resources for somebody else. There are loads of people in this church that got here early today to welcome people at the door. 
Maybe not loads. There's only a few people on the welcome team. But loads, you know, there are people doing that. There's also uh, people right now that are, that are teaching your children about Jesus. There are people that clean up this place when we all leave. There are people that make coffee. Boy, there, there are all sorts of needs, all sorts of needs. And, and when a person just says, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to serve. I'm going to use my gifts, I'm going to use my abilities, I'm going to use my talents to, to wash the feet of the other people in this room. Man, when a church begins to do that, life comes. When, churches, when people in churches stop and just thinking, oh, how do, how, I hope I get ministered to today. I hope I, I get blessed today. I hope people are nice to me today. When you come in with a different attitude and say, you know, I'm going to serve today. I'm going to pour myself out. Boy, that's where the life is in a church. Here's one more thing we can do, and that is let Jesus serve us. So at the heart of what, what Simon Peter is, is doing here is here, Jesus is about to serve Simon, and Simon says, no. Oh, you should never, don't serve me, Jesus. I should be the one serving you. And what does Jesus say? Unless you let me serve you, unless you let me clean you, you have no part with me. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is more than just an example that I'm doing here. This is more than just to do it, go and do it. This is a dynamic where you let Jesus Christ serve you where you let Jesus wash your feet. You say, well, wait a minute. Jesus washed their feet, but he's not around. When did Jesus wash my feet? On the cross is where Jesus washed your feet. When you were still in sin, when you were all dirty and undeserving, Jesus displayed his love for you in laying down his life in a humiliating death to clean you. On the cross, you look down and Jesus Christ is kneeling in front of you, washing your feet. And he says, unless you let me wash you, you will never wash the feet of anybody else. And so the first step is to let Jesus Christ serve you. This is Christianity. The first step into Christianity is to say, yes, Jesus, yes, I need you. Yes, I'm I'm dirty. Yes, I'm not clean and I need you to serve me. And so you let Jesus Christ wash you and that fills you up and with that fullness you can go and begin to serve other people. At the beginning of the passage, notice the inner, just the the environment of Jesus' soul before he does this. It It says here that Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of this world having loved his own to the end. And then it says Jesus in verse three, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God. Then he washed their feet. In other words, Jesus knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. He knew his identity. He was full with God's love. And from that posture, he went out and served others. And it's hard to give out when you have nothing, right? It's hard to give out when your, your bank account is empty. But when you let Jesus serve you, it fills you up. When you let him clean you, you know your identity and you know your past and you know where you're going and you're, you know you're okay. And from that fullness, you pour yourself out and instead of being in this sort of cycle of chronic self-focus, you get on another cycle, which is I'm filled up 
and I pour out, and I f- I'm filled up, and I pour out. And I get life, and I give life, and Jesus says, this is the way of the kingdom. I invite you in. Where do you need to serve this week? Where do you need to pour yourself out? Where do you need to follow the way of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this for this passage that you give us, it's powerful and it's, it's just this object lesson that on so many levels uh, is so incredible, God, that this was God, that this was you in human flesh uh, doing what no other leader, what no other king would ever do. God, you, you wash feet. What does that say about our God? And what does it say about the way of life that, that if the God in whose image we are formed finds his own life in giving himself away. We find our life in giving ourselves away to others. And God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to have eyes to see and ears to hear and uh, just to see the, the opportunities uh, before us, uh, ways that we can serve our spouses and our kids and our church family, our community. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people of the basin and the towel, God, that you would help us to not fear being lowered, that we wouldn't fear uh, being, uh, you know, in, in the lower spot, but that you would help us to have the wisdom and the wherewithal to, to through the power of the gospel, through uh, the joy that you have given us uh, in the gospel, that we might, in that joy, uh, overflow in joy and life and service to others. God, by your Holy Spirit, help us to do this. Do a work in us. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.